Hey there everyone and welcome back to another episode of MedTalks. I'm Sahu Nachani and I'm a junior doctor working in the UK. This episode is part of the Junior Doctor Guide series where we discuss the most common clinical scenarios that you're likely to face when you're on call. In this episode, I'd like to give you a real-life scenario that I faced when I was on call during my surgery rotation. So it was a Saturday evening around 7pm, so it's about one hour before I'm supposed to finish my shift. I'm just completing a few jobs and suddenly a healthcare assistant rushes over to me to inform me about a patient who just doesn't look right. Now something you should all drill into your minds is that nurses and healthcare assistants spend the most amount of time with patients. They're the ones who check the patient's observations throughout the day, administer the medications, give them their teas and their dinners. So essentially, when a nurse or a healthcare assistant tells you that they are worried about their patient or they just don't look right, you need to make sure you take that seriously. Okay, so I go over to see the patient, who is an 80-ish-year-old man, who's on the surgical ward for a reason that has now escaped me. Now, immediately looking at him, I'm concerned. He's got a left-sided facial droop, his speech is slurred, and he's got some strange limb jerking. I then think back to two hours prior to this when he was walking up and down the ward corridor saying he's got a headache. However, when asked questions about this headache, he said he's had it for months. And now if you want to do a CT head for every person who says they've got a headache, well, good luck convincing the radiology team with that. Now in this case, a CT head was definitely warranted because I'm fearing that this poor man has had a stroke. Okay, so now let's talk about strokes. So, a stroke is a cerebrovascular event where a disruption of blood supply to the brain causes rapidly developing signs of a focal or a global disturbance of cerebral functions. This lasts more than 24 hours and it can potentially lead to death. A TIA or a transient ischemic attack is similar but it lasts for less than 24 hours. So strokes are either caused by a thrombus within the cerebral blood vessel which accounts for around 85% of cases or an intracerebral hemorrhage. In younger patients, conditions like vasculitis, thrombophilias and venous sinus thrombosis are most common causes for a stroke and in the older patients there's atherothromboembolism from carotid arteries, thrombi forming within the brain and also vasculitis and venous sinus thrombosis. Strokes are the fourth most common single cause of death in the UK and risk factors include hypertension, smoking, diabetes, heart disease, peripheral arterial disease, hyperlipidemia, excessive alcohol consumption, clotting disorders, and a family history. Also, after someone has had a TIA, they are at high risk of developing a stroke. So how does a stroke present? Well, as you know, the the clinical presentation depends on where the event has occurred within the brain. And in order to ascertain where you suspect the event is, you'll need to do a full neurological examination of the patient if possible. So that's the cranial nerves, the upper and the lower limb neurological exam. And I'm not going to go through all of the signs in this episode. I'll just talk about what you need to do next as an FY1. But something just to be aware of is the Rossier score. So this is the hospital version of the FAST assessment tool which is done in the community to assess if someone has had a stroke. So the Rossier score, which stands for Recognition of Stroke in the Emergency Room, assesses the presence of seven different signs, which include loss of consciousness, seizure activity, new asymmetrical facial weakness, new asymmetrical arm weakness, new asymmetric leg weakness, new speech disturbance, and new visual field defect. 
Now, hypoglycemia must be excluded before making this assessment because hypoglycemia can present in similar ways to a stroke. And a stroke is likely if the score is more than zero. Okay, so now you've gone to the patient, you've done your A to E assessment, and we have a separate episode which goes through the A to E assessment. Ideally, you also need to do a focused neurological examination to collect all of the available evidence and always measure the blood glucose because, as I said, high or low blood glucose can cause neurological signs. Now, if you're thinking that this patient has had a stroke, you need to let your senior know. So when my suspicion was high, I immediately called the surgical registrar to come and have a look at the patient. Now, he couldn't come right away, but he gave me some advice over the phone in the meantime, which was to stop any blood thinners that the patient may be on. So, for example, aspirin, warfarin, heparin, and so on. He told me to request an urgent CT scan of the head, which I'd already done. And he told me to keep the patient nil by mouth and also set, take a fresh set of bloods, including clotting. He also advised me to let the medical registrar know about this situation because this, this is not a general surgical problem. And so the on-call medical team can come and review the patient. So this patient was on a Pixaban for atrial fibrillation. And this is a big risk factor for strokes. And he had had his morning dose. And obviously nothing can be done about that, but any future doses were put on hold. So now we need to confirm that the patient has actually had a stroke, and, by, and that means imaging. So a non-enhanced CT scan of the head is going to give us the answer. So get the patient booked in for that, ring up the CT department and get them down there as soon as possible. So this patient had a CT scan which unfortunately showed an acute subdural hemorrhage. Now the medical student within you, just as it did, just as it did within me, started to panic and think that this patient's about to drop dead. Now, whilst this is a medical emergency, try not to panic, think carefully and act quickly. So now you need to update your seniors. So in my case, that was a surgical reg and also the medical reg. The management of a hemorrhagic stroke is different to the management of a thromboembolic stroke, as I'm sure you're aware. You must avoid aspirin and clopidogrel in a hemorrhagic stroke to prevent adding fuel to the fire or blood to the bleed. If your hospital has an acute stroke unit, then that's great. You can arrange for the patient to be transferred there. My hospital, sadly, does not have that facility, and so I had to refer the patient to a different hospital with this for urgent patient transfer. Whether the patient gets transferred or not is dependent on numerous factors. So if the stroke team think that this patient is not fit for neurosurgery due to multiple comorbidities, for example, then they may just give advice over the phone or over an email, and so the patient will remain on your ward. However, they may accept the transfer if neurosurgery is required and deemed appropriate. Okay, so now let's just summarise what we've done to manage this patient. Firstly, we've assessed them using the well-known A2E method, and we've made any necessary interventions along the way, such as putting the patient on any oxygen if they're hypoxic, giving them fluids if their blood pressure is low. Next, we're gonna, we've done some investigations, so... Ideally, before calling your senior, it's always good to get the ball rolling and do whatever tests you feel are necessary. So in this case, take a fresh set of bloods from the patient, so full blood count, urea and electrolytes, clotting screen and liver function. Think of any useful imaging. So in this case, a non-contrast CT head is going to give you the diagnosis and get the patient down for the scan as soon as possible. Inform your senior and any relevant seniors and discuss, it, discuss this with other teams if required, so the stroke team in this case. And always consider what the escalation plan is for the patient. So do they have a valid and assigned DNAR form in place? If not, then, then do they need one? And discuss this with your senior. 
Also, try to get in the habit of discussing with them regarding whether ITU transfer would be appropriate. Finally, it's always good practice to update the patient's family about the latest situation. They will really appreciate you keeping them in the loop. Before you do this, however, you must check with the patient that they are happy for you to discuss their healthcare with their family because, as you know, patient confidentiality is first priority. And there you have it. You've done your FY1 duties and you've managed a patient who's had a stroke. In this particular scenario, the neurosurgical registrar on call from the hospital I referred to told me that they don't want the patient to be transferred there because he's not a candidate for neurosurgery due to his multiple comorbidities. Instead, he was to stay on on the current ward and receive daily physiotherapy and rehabilitation for symptom control. Had he had he been a younger, fitter patient with no underlying health problems, then they most likely would have been transferred over for neurosurgery. As you can probably realise by now, there are so many different things to consider when managing an unwell patient, and it may seem daunting at first. To be honest, it doesn't stop being daunting, but with time and experience, you gradually get more comfortable being in these situations, and your awareness of what to do next will definitely improve. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you're finding these episodes helpful. Please do give us some feedback. Subscribe to the channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts and let us know via Instagram, which is at MedTalks, what other topics you'd like us to cover. All the best and we'll see you next time.